if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, what we're in the middle of is a series called This Is Our Story. Essentially what we're doing is we've had a couple of different couples in our church and I've been interviewing them, asking them about their story, their faith journey, their lives, just kind of going through what their life and their journey with God has looked like. Um, and we had a plan to continue that trend this week, uh, but God had another plan. Um, we had my sister and brother-in-law scheduled to uh, speak, but... On Thursday, or Wednesday, Thursday, um, the 13th at 12.52 a.m., they gave birth, p.m. My mom knows all the information, not me. Um, but they gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. Uh, I think we have some pictures. And her name is Blake, and she is absolutely perfect. Um, and we are just so happy to have that addition to our family and to our Camelback family as well. Um, and so because of that wonderful surprise, we had to do something else this morning. And we thought since it was Father's Day, we would do a father-son interview. Um, so today I get to put my dad on the hot seat. Pastor James, would you come on up? want that? Do you want a water? It's warm. <laughs> oh, it, when, when you're with family, there is no hot seat. So, and they got these new chairs that you can actually spin around. <laughs> He's young at heart. Yeah, maybe it'll stay up there. So, um, kind of talked about um, just what we're doing. And since it's Father's Day, uh, why don't we just jump right into your relationship with your dad and the influence that he was on your life? Um, I, I probably don't even need these, huh? Um, I, I probably uh, would consider myself extremely privileged and uh, probably not privileged in the context the way that our culture would place it. But uh, in the context of the dad that I had, um, my father was, he pastored, uh, I grew up in his church. He started the church when I was just a, a little, um, I was a baby actually. And, um, and he pastored the church until he was 80 years old. And I was long gone by then. And, uh, and then moved to Florida for several years. So um, my dad was, uh, was, the best example, I, I believe, in every way. He lived what he preached. It was who he was. Um, he actually uh, gave his life to Christ. He was, even though he, he pastored a church for uh, probably 56 years, I think it is, something like that. And, uh, but my dad was not a wuss. My dad was a man's man. Uh, my dad was a, a 101st Airborne paratrooper. He was in 82nd Airborne Division. He was in the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, he, uh, he really was a, uh, a great guy. And, uh, and it was in the battlefield in Europe that he um, committed his life to Christ, and he knew that God called him into ministry, came back from World War II, started that church, and uh, it's still there today. I, 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 uh, I see it coming up on Facebook all the time, and uh, uh, it's, that was my dad. So I was very privileged um, to grow up having the dad that I had. 
And um, um, did you want me to stop there or you want me to keep going? No, keep, keep going. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and my life just grew out of that. I, I came out of there, spent eight years traveling uh, with, uh, with two other guys in a band, and, and uh, um, we just, uh, I, I wouldn't change, it was, it was ministry, enjoyed every minute of it, and uh, went from there um, into, um, into uh, building, and I built, uh, um, uh, built single-family homes, and then went into commercial building, uh, Different, two different companies that I worked for. And then uh, on our own, we were uh, building commercial and building churches in Northern Virginia. And then at a point, Karen and I were married at that point. Uh, and uh, sometimes in life, you just feel like you're ready for a change. And uh, after Karen and I were married for a while, I, I just hit that. I felt like, you know what? It, it, wasn't, even a, it wasn't even a God thing. Um, and, and that's not necessarily a good thing, but, but it, it was the kind of thing where I, I, I just felt like I was ready for a change. And if you grow up in the Northeast, the big change for you is just go to Florida. I mean, that's what everybody does in the Northeast. They just go to Florida. So yeah, You trade in your snow shovel for a beach towel. Yes, I did. And, uh, and we, uh, we got a place right there on the water. Um, and uh, I, I tell you, it was, uh, uh, it was a change that I was ready for. Uh, and, and I will tell you that I, it, it wasn't even the kind of change where, where I was saying, Lord, what is it you want me to do? I, I, I honestly, we never even, uh, for me personally, never even, um, uh, I'm almost embarrassed to say, never even prayed about that move, but just made that move knowing it was one that we, I, we wanted to make. And uh, when we landed in Florida, our house was right on the water. We were right near family. And and I, I, I just felt like I'm in a place where I, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm, my thinking was, I'm going to ride this wave all the way into the sunset. This is, this is where it's going to be for me. And it wasn't, um, probably wasn't, wasn't even a year when Karen and I began to recognize that God had something else in mind for us. And... Uh, Frankly, it just took me by surprise because I was not thinking at all uh, that I would go back. Now, I had been involved serving in churches for my entire life, did that in Virginia. I mean, I was committed. I was a high-capacity volunteer, no question. Uh, and I was involved. We had a television ministry. I, I did sound in the back. That's probably why I'm so particular with these guys. I ask them for all kinds of stuff. Um, but we had a television ministry. We were we were a big deal. And I, and I was there every Sunday. And I did house sound. And we had another guy up in a booth doing TV sound. And it was just, uh, I was involved at a, at a high capacity level. But, um, you know, we had just, I, I never saw myself as going into full-time ministry again. And uh, so uh, we began to recognize God was calling us to something, didn't know what. I thought, we thought maybe it would be New York because that's where I grew up, that's where my dad was. The Lord made it clear that that was not uh, where he, he was taking us. And uh, before too long, John, my cousin, called me up, invited us out here, and that began our whole time uh, here at Camelback. Yeah, and it's been such a, it's been a wild ride. Um, I want to talk about kind of how, you, I mean, you grew up in church with, as a pastor's kid. You um, were involved with music and singing, and then you were involved in music and sound. 
um, as well as, you know, from an early, early age working construction, like 40 total years experience on the job, and how all of that is kind of, God has used really every part of your life mm -hmm. to yeah. help what you're doing here at Camelback. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting. You know, we, we all, uh, for me personally, looking in the rear view mirror back through my life is where I, uh, I see God's handiwork in, in such a whole different way. Um, the, all the years uh, traveling and singing, I, I, I utilize so much of that. All the years in construction, I've used since day one here at Camelback, and those of you who are part of our team know that we're going through two construction projects this summer on our campus. And uh, so that all, all the things in my life that I've been through, the time that I've spent both in construction and ministry, and God specifically is using. It's interesting to see how God does not waste the experiences in our lives. We talk about that a lot in our classes. And as I look back in my life, I just see it so clearly. All of my life experiences, good ones and bad ones, God is weaving into what he has me doing. It's one of the things that God does in our lives. He does not waste our experiences. Even the ones that we, the ones that we chose that took us into a mess in our lives, Coming through that mess and out of that mess, I'll tell you, well, I have learned more from my failures than I have ever learned from my successes. God takes our failures and our messes and he uses them. And it's amazing. Sometimes our greatest ministry grows out of our biggest failures. So it's, it's just uh, the rearview mirror is so, so cool to, to see that. I mean, speaking of the rearview mirror, it's been 19 years now, mm -hmm. um, and it's been 19 incredible years. What, you know, as you look in the past um, and you see where we've come from, uh, where the, how the church has grown, <laughs> the different changes that have happened, um, and then turning around to using that wisdom of the past into pushing Camelback into the future, what, what are you thinking about that? <clears throat> um. Well, it's, it's bigger than me. Uh, uh, our, our, um, and, and by the way, I, I take very seriously the position that God has me in here. I, I take it very uh, seriously. And, and by the same token, um, uh, you see me up here on Sunday a lot. And, and I will tell you, I am just one piece of what God is doing here in the life of our church. I, I'm just one part. I, I'm excited for that, and, and I love it, and, I'm, and I wouldn't change it, and, but, but I'm just one piece. I am so impressed with what our dream team does here every single Sunday and throughout the week, all the way through to Friday with Celebrate Recovery. Every area of everything that God is doing, He's doing because we are all a part of a body. We are all different pieces of a body. Paul digs into that in a big way, and, and it's so true. Now, we tend to look at some pieces as being so much more important than others, when the reality is this body functions because of all the different parts of it. 
and there are different systems in our body. You know, there's, there's our, our nervous system. There's our skeletal system. There, there are all these different, seven to nine different systems in our body. And when all these systems are working together properly, our body is at ease. It's totally at ease. But when just one of those systems is not working properly, our body is thrown into disease. And, and we, we can't operate the same. Paul digs in on that, and he, and he just gives it real clarity. That's, as the body of Christ, that's who we are. We're all different parts of this body. And some pieces are real obvious, you know, but, but they're not real necessary. And some pieces are obvious and necessary, and some parts are not even seen, but unbelievable. Your heart and liver and kidney, unbelievably necessary. And uh, so we're, we're all a part of that, and it's, it's, so, uh, it's, it's so important. And then looking to the future, um, it's kind of the path I started out here a minute ago. Um, looking to the future, it's not just me. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm so uh, comfortable and gracious and grateful that God has uh, the church board that we have together. Our church board is specifically, along with me, we're praying about direction that God has for our church. Our church team, our leadership team is involved in the very process of what does God have next for Camelback. And there's some really exciting things that we are, 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 are praying about. And uh, at some point we'll, we'll share them with the church, but uh, it's, it's totally exciting. And, and, and let me just say, uh, if you want to stop me at any point, you can, but... Uh, it, it, it's totally, looking forward, see, I, I grew up in New York, and so I, I'm like, I'm like this, I'm a skeptic, I'm, I'm a New York skeptic, you know, I just, and if, if I were to rely on me and my confidence in people, probably, probably wouldn't be too strong, but I am unbelievably confident in the work that Jesus Christ does in our lives. He takes us right where we are. He takes us through a process. And in this process, he, he, he makes us more like him. And that's what I'm seeing in people's lives in our Camelback family. And looking forward, I'm, I'm extremely optimistic. I'm, I am more optimistic with millennials than I think I have been with any generation. And you might think that's, that's different than the way our culture is looking at millennials. I got to tell you, I am more optimistic with what I'm seeing and the more I am learning about millennials. There are good things coming with them and then there are some things that, that I hope doesn't happen and I hope, uh, I hope changes. So... Um, I can dig into that if you want, but I'll, I'll, maybe you want to steer me on it. Yeah, um, I'm so grateful personally because I am a millennial that you are optimistic about us. Um, <laughs> if you weren't, I don't know. There were times I, I wasn't optimistic about you. <laughs> I deserve that. But I, I certainly am. I, I, uh, uh, ten years from now, okay, here's a reality, folks. Ten years from now... 75% of the workforce of the world will be totally millennials. They are going to be in charge. They are going to be doing almost everything. 
not only are they going to be leading themselves and taking care of us old folks, <laughs> but they are going to be training and raising the next generation, which is what, Gen Y, is that right? Z. Z? Z. It's some, some old alphabet number out, out there. And They're right over there. Hi, guys. Uh, yeah, millennials were born, what, uh, 1980 to 2001. Roughly, yeah. And, uh, and Gen Z is everything after that till now. So they're already uh, growing. We're living in a time right now that five generations simultaneously, this is because of the longevity of life. This is because um, life is medicine. We, we are paying attention to so many more things, and life is getting longer. And so uh, five generations are living simultaneously right now, and that's kind of a, a, a rare thing in history. And so it, it's a big deal. Probably one of the negative things over the last few generations that we see is the trend of of, of young people leaving the church is on the rise. That, that's just been a reality. It's not, just with, uh, it's not just with millennials. It started even before millennials. The trend is, is that, that young people are leaving the church at a, at a growing percentage number. And that's the one thing that, that I'm, I believe that the church can change. And so... Uh, um, uh, that, that I believe is important. I, I believe that through millennials, see, God is a creator. He's a creator. He, he, he doesn't typically do the same thing over and over again. He's an innovator. He does things that surprise us. And he often does new things in unexpected ways. And that's why revival has broken out over the years and so many times. And there has been a resurgence of of of, of uh, large parts of the culture, once again, focusing on God and who he is. And so um, I'm uh, looking forward to millennials. There's some really positive things about millennials that, uh, that I see. One of the things that I notice is that, is, and Wes will tell you, I've been reading more about uh, millennials in less a chunk of time that, because I'm, I'm really interested in and how they are going to affect the church. I'm interested in what's going to happen. And, and how do we, how do we as, as a church body, um, how do we set up the next generation so they can just not kind of carry on what we're doing? Because when we leave it to that stage, what we see is that churches wither up and their doors close. More churches are closing now than ever before. Because a church is a living organism. It's, it's, it's not a building. It's not a campus. It's a body. It, a church isn't, isn't the campus and the building. It's the believers. It's this body. It's, it's, a, it's a living thing. And so I'm, I'm committed to not buying into the negative view that we have on millennials. Because I believe millennials are remarkable. I believe when millennials find Christ, they are world changers. Millennials have this ability to embrace something and pour their life into it. Millennials are, are searching for a mission to give their life to. And Jesus Christ laid his life down to give 
not just us, but millennials, the most important mission that there ever was. And that's the story of the gospel. So um, that's, that's a big deal. I'll go on. You want me to go on? The more you talk, the less I have to. So you can keep <laughs> on going. We're talking about millennials, and I'm talking, and he's quiet. Millennials are, are not interested in gimmicks. You know, we look at millennials, and we think they just like cool things, you know, like iPads and phones. They're interested in cool things, but they're not interested in cool things unless they're authentic. They're not going to come to a church just because... Now, listen, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in on this stuff. I'm all in on the lights and the haze and, and everything because, because I, I want us to reach the next generation. But millennials recognize that it's not just the lights and the haze. There better be something real there or we're out. Amen. And so, you know, it's... it's um, and, and millennials totally embrace technology. I'm not giving you a chance at all, am I? <laughs> hey, just, I look, just I, do I, it. For, 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 for eight years, I traveled and sang with a band. We went into a studio, and, and we, we recorded an album. That, it was this, about, they were about this big. They were vinyl. They're coming back now. You can go to the store and buy them. Uh, vinyl LP. And, uh, yeah, I have to go to Urban Outfitters if I want to get vinyl. <laughs> yeah. So you can get a 33 and a third LP and we, on a 32-track recorded. We recorded them, and, and some of the background instruments, that you, you would, you would be, you'd be laughing at what we did. And, and so we came out with this album, and then, then we, after the album was out for a while, we connected with Nashville, and we got the new thing, okay? We ordered hundreds of cassettes and A-tracks. Yeah. And, and, and loved every bit of it because, because selling those things after every, every service and concert paid for more than you could imagine. But eight-track cassettes and cassettes. I know what they are. I've just never seen an eight-track. Yeah, well. <laughs> but, I mean, you went through all that. Now I could record an album on that laptop right there. I, I, and, you know, we have our iPhones. Our, our iPhones, you know, have, have probably ten times the computer that was on board the spaceship that went to the moon. Try a hundred We have, uh-huh. It's more like a hundred times. Okay, see? Um, so we, we have so much more at our fingertips now, and, and millennials are digital natives. They, they never not had this stuff. They've always had this stuff. And Wes had, a, what was that game? It was a Game Boy. Wes had a Game Boy. <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, of course, how old were you then? Like five. And he was convinced he knew everything in the world, right? So uh, Wes got his Game Boy really dirty. He got mud and dirt on it. He, it dro he dropped it in the mud. And so he came into our church office with his Game Boy, and he went over to the kitchen sink, turned the water on, started washing it. Like, and, and Jan, Jan, who was working for our church full-time at that time, came up and says, Wes, you can't do that. And Wes's response is, I just did. And she, she was gracious enough to take it all apart and do all kinds of things and, and got it working again. But they, they have never not had technology. You guys have always had We might not always understand it, but we've always had it. Yeah. I am convinced, here, here's, here's an interesting thing. Millennials, here are some of the positives. And I'm talking to, you know, the, I'm talking to millennials in the room. I'm talking to those of you in the room who are generations above that, myself included. 
One of the things that millennials want is they want their, and, and this, is, this is the overall percentages. It's not 100%, but generally, millennials want their marriage to last for a lifetime. They've watched the generations before them. Divorce has been rampant, and millennials are saying, I, I want more than that. They're, they're, overall, they're, they're taking more time before they get married. They're, they're looking differently at this. I'm, I'm very optimistic about so many things about millennials. And uh, so I, I see that they, they value relationships. Um, one of the, the, some of the strongest life groups in our church are millennial groups. They are the healthiest groups. And uh, they, they recognize the value of culture. They recognize the value of theology. Um, I think that millennials are more comfortable doing church the way Jesus did church than many of our generations. Because relationship is a big deal. And uh, um, l let me flip the tables for a minute here. L let me ask you a question. You, you've, uh, the last couple of weeks, we've had a couple of couples come up here. And by the way, do not miss next week. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited for you to hear a couple next week that uh, I I've watched, I watched God work in each of their lives in an individual way that is mind-boggling. And so I, I would just, don't miss next week. But you, you're, you're talking with couples and you're asking them, okay, where does your story begin? And what's the middle part? And, and how does it end up? Why don't, you, why don't you give me your story from the, like the beginning or wherever you want to start and then the middle part and, and I'll pick the end. And we'll go from there. And I told him I was going to do this to him. So I'm not, I'm not being as cruel as I sound. It's still a hot seat. Um, so I grew up a pastor's kid, um, really from the time that I was four on up. Um, so that means I basically just grew up in this building. Um, there were a lot of Sundays where I would get up at 6 a.m. because I wanted to go to church with dad. And by the second song of worship, when they were rehearsing it, I'd be in the back row asleep. Um, there were a lot of times that I got nudged waking up. I got nudged to wake up, and it was, you know, second service was about to start in, like, 10 seconds, and I had slept all the way through the first service, um, not because it was boring. I was just, like, really, really young, <laughs> but, like, I have a lot of amazing memories here because of that, um, and with that, I had a lot of friends that I knew from church, but my parents were very much of the mindset of, if you, all of your friends are Christian, you should probably find some more friends, because... If all of your friends are Christian, then who are you going to tell Christ? Like, who are you going to talk to about God? Um, what, wh whose lives are you actually impacting and changing? So uh, because of that, um, my sister and I, we went to public schools. Um, and I had friends. So I had friends here that were Christian. I had friends at school that were Christian. And I had friends at school that weren't. And uh, it was just it was a great experience that I loved. I loved growing up in the public school system. It's been, it was amazing for me, and it taught me a lot of things. But it also ended up kind of pushing me to a point where in high school, I was, you know, I was here. I was really involved in youth group, but I sort of developed this double life. Um, 
I was one person at church and at home, and then at school I was somebody completely different. Um, and that kind of senior year, junior, senior year, it kind of came to a head. Um, I really just started hanging out with the wrong crowd, just like not the best people, and um, that made its way into my college experience. I got to college and um, I was focused on you know, the college experience, not the educational experience. Um, I was very much a college student, but not really a student, if you will. Um, and because of that, I ended up not getting invited back to that school. I did about a year and a half there, so three semesters. And um, because I wasn't in class hardly ever, I, um, my GPA had fallen to the point where I wasn't invited back. And um, you know, I was sitting in my dad, I was sitting at the church office one day, uh, it was like winter break, and my dad, I heard my dad like yell across the church office my name, and so I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna go in there. And the school had emailed him by mistake because we have the same name. We both are James Wesley Corden. Um, the school had emailed him, letting him know that unfortunately he wasn't invited back to the next semester. Um, he didn't know he was enrolled in college, but he knew I was. So he figured out very quickly and much to my regret that I was not going back to Florida to go to college. Mm -hmm. um, and that kicked off the most impactful year of my life. Um, for all of us. Yeah, for, I mean, our whole family and to some degree the church even. Um, I realized that there are a lot of consequences that are very, very real when you aren't living a way that you should, that you know, your decisions have real world consequences. And I wasn't yeah. sheltered as a child, but I was protected from some things um, and some consequences that um, should have, you know, I should have had because of decisions. My parents chose to not expose me to all of that, to try to, um, to try to like ensure that I grew up in a good way. And I'm very thankful for that because I think in the end that that did benefit me. But also in the end, I did have to face some consequences. Um, and one of those being, I was now a college, like I, was, I now failed out of college basically. Um, so that was something that I never thought would happen. I grew up, um, you know, I would change what I wanted to do for a living growing up every like year, but it was always something along the lines of like, I want to be an engineer. No, I want to be a surgeon. I want to be a musician. And, um, you know, I'd always had these dreams of going to college, graduating college, getting my master's degree. And like I had, I wanted to do that when I was like eight um, because I just, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And now at 19 years old, I had completely failed my what I, my dreams, I had completely failed at what I wanted to do. Um, so when I hit rock bottom, I was, I realized, all right, you know, the good thing is there's only one way to go from here. You know, if you've already at the bottom, you can't go further than that. But what you can do is you can pick yourself up, realize what you did wrong, turn that around and go up. So from that December to June, I just worked on myself, worked on my relationship with God, worked on my relationship with my parents, um, and just, you know, I was working at the church, um, essentially as a graphic designer, and 
I did a couple other things, and I was volunteering on Sundays to do music, and I got to the point where I came to my parents and I said, so remember how I went to Florida for college, and that was really far away. Um, I want to go to college in Australia, and I know that's way further away, but I've gotten to this point where I know what I want to do. And it's not be an engineer, it's not be a doctor. I, I want to work for the church and I want to um, be a worship pastor and eventually maybe go on and do other things, but I want to go to school to be a worship pastor. And so um, I got accepted to Hillsong College in Sydney, Australia, and I went out there. <laughs> I went out there and um, I had the biggest six months of my life, um, and it was the best six months of my life. I grew so much as a person, I grew so much as a worship leader, as a songwriter, as a pastor, um, and just as a person and as a son too, uh, to where when I came back from college for a break, um, I had signed up to do a year and just kind of see what happened after that. Um, but I had come back from college at the six month mark and just to visit um, everybody for Christmas and the night that I was supposed to, you know, get on a plane and go back to Sydney, uh, I got called into my parents' room, and I had no clue why. Um, I was like, well, I, uh, I've been doing an amazing job. Like, I, how am I in trouble for something right now? This is, does not compute. Um, and what happened was something that really surprised me. Um, at the time, I was... You know, I missed everybody at home, and so like it, you know, there's always that like, ah, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to go back because, you know, I'm going halfway across the world, and I'm going to be missing everybody again. At the time, I had a girlfriend, and I didn't want to leave her, and um, it was just something that, you know, I felt like I had to do because I made this commitment. But I really, you know, in my heart and in prayer, didn't think that it's something that I should do. But you know, in prayer, I kind of left it up to. I'll know if it's something that I'm not going to do. And you and mom called me into your room. Yeah, we, um, I, I just, you know, we'd, uh, we'd separately been thinking about this, but we knew what Wes's goal was and uh, for, for the one year. And I just really felt like, and he was getting ready to go. I mean, within a couple hours, he was going to be leaving. And I, ju I just called Karen into, into our bedroom and I said, listen, it, it almost doesn't make sense for him to go back. And so we talked about it, and we both agreed. So, well, let's talk to Wes and see what he thinks. And, uh, and he was very comfortable with staying. Uh, it was at a point that we, uh, we really needed someone here to lead our creative arts team. And I felt, um, I just really felt that Wes had accomplished, he'd accomplished everything in Australia in six months that, that we were thinking it would take him a year to accomplish. And it, we just felt like it was God's timing. And, and uh, so we just, you know, brought him in the room and, and said, listen, what do you think about just staying home and not going back? Well, he had to go back and get his stuff and come back. But, but uh, and, uh, and he, uh, at that point, just, just really agreed with us. And, uh, and it was from that point on that he's, uh, he's, he he's uh, led our, our creative arts department and all of our, our worship here at Camelback. But um, it's, uh, it's been exciting to watch. Uh, the changes that God has made in Wes's life. And, 
And, I, and you know, it's, yeah, we, we see our whole team up here, and we see what they're doing. And they're, I'm telling you, they're all just great. It is so cool to, to see not just our team up here, but our guest services team, children's ministry, to all the areas uh, that God is developing. And, and I, I, church, um, I, I, do, I believe that we as Camel, but as God's family here, Camelback Community Church, I really believe that we are just scratching the surface. I believe there's a community out there that we have just got to get better at reaching and connecting with. I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm so hopeful and encouraged uh, at the next generation coming up behind us and our, and our leadership here at our church. We are committed to we are committed to doing whatever it takes so that the next generation can stand on our shoulders and reach so much more than we have. Uh, and so that's, that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, as a member of that generation, thank you for that uh, because you, have a, you guys have accomplished so much that um, uh, I can't even begin to imagine what amazing things we'll be able to accomplish yeah. with the support of your generation and other generations. Yeah, um, and I'm not sure how you, how you want to close this up because I, I went a different direction in the first service. I, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reminded just briefly of the prodigal son where this young man comes to his dad and he says, I want my inheritance now. And his dad gives him, and this is a, this is a story that Jesus is telling. His dad gives him his inheritance and he takes it and he goes off and he blows the whole thing. And he spends the whole thing. And then, he, and then the Bible says he comes to his senses. I mean, you know, Wesson, Florida was that deal. Believe me. It, it's a whole story in itself. You see how much gray he has in his hair? Yeah. And, and, and it, when he comes to his senses, the Bible says, after he'd spent everything. And then the father who the father in that story that Jesus is telling is God himself. And church, we, every one of us, dads this morning, every one of us dads, we are the prodigals. And when we came to our senses and came back to him, what does he do? He says he took the ring off of his finger and he put it on his son. He, he had his servants go and get sandals. He put them on. He get, get my finest robe and put it on him. God himself pours everything into us. And he welcomes us back. And, and we all do this. We are all the prodigal son. We, we go off on our own and we do our deal because we know better. And, and, and yet he, he loves us back into his family. And so I'm totally stoked about millennials. I'm looking forward to the future. It's going to be in good hands. Our millennials are looking for something to pour their lives into. And Jesus Christ died on a cross and asked them as he asked us, take my yoke on you, take my message. And we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna do that and they're gonna do that as we move on. And next week's gonna be a killer story 
and I'll get out of here, do whatever you want, close the service up, okay? All right, sounds good. <laughs> Everybody give him a round of applause. Yeah, uh, that was a great kind of closing point. I know everybody's probably hungry, so we'll wrap this up pretty quick. Um, but really, I don't, I can't imagine that I have anything more to add to that. I mean, he's the professional when it comes to speaking, so I don't want to mess with what he said. Um, I guess the best thing that we could do right now is just to bow our heads and pray. Um, I got something I want to say for Father's Day. Lord, thank you for just everything that you've done in our lives. Um, thank you for all the impact that you've made here at Camelback, the people that you've brought into our lives and the people that you have trained up in Camelback and then sent out to impact people elsewhere. Um, this Father's Day, I just kind of want to pray for all the dads in the room and around. Pray for, you know, all the dads that, everything's happening and they're if they're a new dad and they just don't feel like they have the strength to keep going or if you know everything just doesn't seem to be falling into place that you give him give them the courage and the strength to carry on to believe in themselves that they are enough as long as they have you i pray also for the single dads here um that you give them the strength and the courage and the wisdom to do the job that you know you intended for two people um, that they're able to raise their children in a way that is going to honor you and raise them in a way that's going to reflect how to be the best man or the best woman that their child can be pray also just for you know the parents the fathers that have outlived their kids the kids who no longer have their fathers um, that, you know, this Father's Day it might not be easy, but I want you to let them know that they're, that you're with them. Uh, I pray that they feel seen, that they feel known, that they feel loved um, in this time. And holidays are never easy when you've lost someone, but I pray that you just let them know that you love them. And I pray that as we kind of move forward as a church, that we're only focused on the main thing that you asked us to do, and that's just to love people and to go and tell people about you. I pray that as we leave today, our, we just focus on loving everybody that we come across. Whether we agree with them or not, Just I pray that that is the first thing on our minds, that the first person that we see when we leave these doors, that's the first thing that we think of is just to love them. In your name we pray, amen.